I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 147. Want to rock your mortgage business? Then crank up the volume with your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here from I Love Mortgage Brokering. Today on the show, I have Andy Zeman from Zeman Mortgage Team. Andy is the second LO in our loan officer series, and uh, he's based out of Charlottesville, Virginia. And he actually interned as an LO before becoming a loan officer. He talks about his experience with the core training group. He's been involved with them for 15 years and how it's really changed his business. He shares how daily and weekly team meetings are so important and how making 40 call realtor calls a week has made a huge difference in his business, even though he says that it takes him all week to make the calls, which is still crazy impressive to me. Um, and he feels like, well, I don't do them in one day, but I'm thinking if you do 40 calls in a week, dude, you're killing it. So he also shares a concept of the undeletable voicemail and how showing genuine appreciation is not only awesome, but it's a great way to build up your team. And so I think you're really gonna enjoy this interview with Andy. He seems like a stand-up guy and I really enjoyed my conversation with him. This episode is sponsored by Pioneer West Acceptance Corp. Pioneer West is a private lender in BC and Alberta. Now, normally when we have a sponsor for the show, it's because I have personally used their product or service and I can give it a 100% recommendation. In this case, it's a little different because I personally don't do B deals. So I did some background checking on the crew editor, Pioneer West, and I found that everyone I talked to said they were fast, down to earth, and under oat deals if they made sense, which is exactly what you're looking for in a B lender. Another cool thing about Pioneer West is they're actually issuing approvals in 24 hours or less in most cases. If you're a broker looking for a lender for your next B deal in BC or Alberta, check out Pioneer West and tell them you heard about them at I Love Mortgage Brokering. They are big supporters of our community. Check them out at pioneerwest.com. This episode is also sponsored by adlawappraisals.com. They're a full-service real estate appraisal firm located in Vancouver, BC. They appraise residential and commercial properties throughout the entire Lower Mainland. I did some background checking on the Adam and the crew, and brokers told me they were fast, efficient, and approved with most banks, credit unions, and even private lenders. They've invested in various technologies to ensure quick turnaround times, and their executive home appraisal price doesn't kick in until $1.5 million, which is awesome as it keeps costs down for borrowers. They have free rental estimates, and also your first letter of transmittal is always on the house. AdLaw is a huge supporter of our community and has created a unique offer for our listeners. Check out adlawappraisals.com and mention ILMB50, and you'll actually get $50 off one time off an appraisal. Check them out at adlawappraisals.com. Hey, Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the lending business. Gosh, uh, this is quite a story. But uh, so when I was in college in 19, uh, I'm going to date myself here. So this is 1996. There was a nice little refi boom here in the States. And I went and I interned at a broker shop when I was home for the summer. And it was a quasi intern. They just basically let me originate loans because there were no rules on who could do it at the time. So I was a probably 20 year old college student. And I was doing refis for people. And I made like 10 grand in the summer and thought it was this is the best job ever. I said this is phenomenal and so I graduated from school. I went my I went a different route to begin with and um I went in, into a different form of sales and then we had in uh early 2000 or 99 I guess it was we had this dot com bubble burst and um I lost my job in sales up in the DC market where I was uh was working up in northern Virginia. And said, gosh, what am I going to do, man? I lost my job. They don't need me here. They downsized me and thought, uh, you know, that mortgage thing was a pretty decent gig. So I got back into it. And, uh, you know, it was funny at the time. It was a matter of necessity because I was, 
I can remember I, I hated where I lived. I broke up with my girlfriend. We were miserable together. So that was like, that was awesome for me to have done. And then I rented out an apartment with a buddy of mine and I was still in the apartment with my girlfriend, although not living there. And so I had basically I had two apartments. And if you know anything about, you know, the DC rental market, it's incredibly expensive. And so I was making no money. I had no money and uh, I didn't even have a bed. I had a mattress on the floor and my closet was the floor basically. So, and I was just decided to run around and try to figure out how to be a loan officer. And, um, 16 years later, here we are. So you figured it out. Yeah, I think I have to call it. I think I told you this. I think I have to call it a career now after 16 years. I'm yeah, I, I would agree. So, okay, then tell me about when you first you decided, hey, I'm going to be a loan officer. There was probably less reg, less regulation at the time in terms of, did you have to have certain licensing or how did it work? No, no, no. So there, there wasn't any. In fact, I started as a broker um, here in the business and there was no licensing requirement. There wasn't a credit check requirement. There was nothing. And then the, you know, the business has evolved and, you know, we hit that time frame for me and, and, uh, you know, the piece about my business is I run a team and I, I pretty much always have, I figured I, I didn't want to do everything. I didn't, I couldn't do everything. I wasn't very good at everything. And, you know, I, I will probably get to that story piece of it a little later, but the reality is, is I figured that uh, I needed to build something. And so as the industry, you know, sort of self imploded and our industry single-handedly about bankrupt the world, we moved on and, and we decided that you know it was time for us to align ourselves with people that were going to be more in compliance with where we saw the industry headed. So I left the broker world then and entered into uh, the world of correspondent banking. And then I left the correspondent bank and actually now work for a bank out of uh, Wisconsin called Waterstone Bank. And we're a they're a parent company for Waterstone Mortgage Corporation, who is my employer. And you're a loan officer. That would be your one one of your titles. Yep, I'm a good old loan officer. I could. I, there's all kinds of fancy titles that are out there, man. But I got a theory on it. It's like when I ask these people what they do, because I've got friends um, in various coaching programs and vice presidents of regional sales, blah blah blah, and and everybody's and that's great, and it's caught on a title. And I say, so what you know, what you do yesterday in your job? And the answer I always get is, well, I met with three or four buyers. You know, we got a couple of pre-approvals out. My team. So I'm like, great. So you're a loan officer, right? I mean, yeah. so it is what I am. I'm not better than uh, I'm not better than that. I'm proud of it, and I'm a loan officer. Okay, I have a two questions from the, that story. First, when did you hire the first person on your team or decide that hey, because you said that you're all about team? And then the second question is, is when did you realize that you actually this is a career that works for you? That you actually because you know you said you had this high rent and all this other stress going on. So when did it click? So for me, I, I've always been very driven in that I, I want to get paid what I feel I'm worth. So I want that commission driven. So I knew in the very beginning, this was probably a good job for me, but I hired my first person. Uh, so I started in the business in uh, July of 2001. So it was 16 going up on 16 years now. So July of 2001, and that's when I started. And then I hired my first person it would have been in May of 2000 and excuse me, November of 2002. I remember it vividly because I had just come back from my very first core training summit, which happens in May and November, came back from San Antonio. And uh, I had uh, I had already had an individual that was ready to start. And that's when they started. So November of 2002. Okay. And so that was at the core, obviously, they are they're about they coach about building teams, and they don't want you to be just a lone ranger, right? 
Yeah, it's it's a well. They want you to be a lone ranger if your volume doesn't support having a team. It's and it's not about getting out of the way of you know of the work that you're really supposed to do, like the skill set that you have, which is mm-hmm. say sales and structuring. You know, even to an extent, structuring loans. But it is about leveraging and creating an experience as opposed to just producing a mortgage or another widget or whatever. You know, we spend a lot of time focused on differentiating ourselves. And certainly I can speak to this to my team is differentiating ourselves through an experience as opposed to just a process and just, you know, come in with an application and you get spit out the other side with a a bunch of documents you sign and you get a house. So, you know, that's really what it's in the end. That's what it's about. Right. Okay. So I'm going to come back to that, some of that stuff and we get further into your, this conversation. But before we dive into that, I always like to ask about a quote that's had an impact on your life or business. Can you share a quote that's really impacted you? Yeah. So it was early in my career and I met, I had a client. I was way out of my league with this client. This guy was a hedge fund manager here locally. His first name was Craig. And I remember I was scared to death to like do this guy's loan because I didn't know what I was doing. Right. And Mm -hmm. he, um, he invites me up to his office to pick up documents because, of course, I'm, I'm running all over town. I'm like, wherever you need, sir, here I come. Yeah, I'll come cut your lawn if you need it. That's right. Show up at the guy's office, and he's got a bunch of books on his wall. And I said, hey, let me ask you a question. I said, you're obviously, you know, use the, you know, the humble approach. You're obviously very successful. And, you know, here I am, this young kid. And just give me some insight. Tell me what you, you know, how do you get rich? Because this guy was rich, right? He was the richest person I'd met at the time. And uh, he said, Andy, you've got to find a way to put yourself in the way of the money. And that's what he said. And I said, okay, great. I'm going to, you know, it was in one ear and kind of bounced around in there a little bit. And I said, all right, I'm going to think about this, you know, later, just give me the documents. I need to close your loan. Right. So, and it probably wasn't until about five years after that. And that quote stuck with me. And if you asked him to this day, he probably would never remember that he actually said it to me, but it stuck with me, and it wasn't until about five years later that I realized what that really meant, which at the time I thought it meant, well, just make sure that people got to go through you to get money, right? Like for, I'm like, I'm a loan officer. Of course, dummy, they got to come to me and apply for a loan, and I give them money. And, and you get paid. Right, but I didn't realize the deeper meaning to that, which is if you can create a position around what you do or a status or a, you know, if you can be a conduit for people to get what they want out of life, money or whatever that would be. And you can be the connector, the introducer, the facilitator, the whatever that requires, but they got to come to you to figure out how to do it and get it. Then you get to pick up along the way, you get to pick up a lot of the crumbs, right? Or you get left with the crumbs and the crumbs really add up and they might not even be crumbs. It might be big, you know, big pieces of the bread, but the idea really made a lot of sense to me about five years after that. Now, unfortunately I could be a lot further in my career if I'd have learned it a little earlier. Right. But in hindsight, it was that was that's probably the one quote that has really stuck with me. Put yourself in the way. So how have you applied that now that you sort of understand what the lesson he was teaching you, even not even thinking about it, he just sort of probably shot from the hip. But so how have you applied that sort of over the last five years? So it really evolved into figuring out how what I was doing in business that wasn't working as well as I wanted it to and, and, and how do I tweak it? What I mean by that is I figured out around the same time, maybe you know six years after that or you know five and then a, a subsequent year later, that it's really hard to sell yourself. Right, because nobody wants to listen to it. Nobody wants to hear that I'm the best loan officer in the world. Because guess what? I'm probably not. Mm-hmm. No one wants to hear that I'm the best at you know at anything because I'm probably not. And so, no one really wants to hear about me. They want to talk about themselves. Yes. So I need to figure out a way that I can create a group of people, business partners, etc., that sell for me. 
right? I don't sell me. I don't sell me at all during the course of a day. Any client I meet with, any doesn't matter. I don't promote me. I don't promote what we do. I don't even promote Waterstone. Aside from you know, kind of sharing this insight here, I don't really do that. What I do do is I talk about the great people that I'm working with and I'm in partnership with, and I promote them because it's a referral, right? It's a close for them. Mm-hmm. If I'm closing for my best realtor and he knows or she knows that as a result of The business that I do and the cold contacts I come in front of, I'm going to put him in front of people that he doesn't have to sell himself to. I can then encourage and to an extent require that he sell me. And so what it really did was it promoted an opportunity for me to say, okay, if I'm going to put myself in the way of the money, I have to help other people make more and do more than they would have if they didn't know me. And if I'm that connector and I'm bringing people to them – then I win, right? It's hard for me as a loan officer to get fired if I can promote my agent and help them make $250,000 a year through my referrals. It's pretty hard to get fired if I screw a deal up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's genius. So if I was one of your real estate agents, a top agent, is there a certain number of loans or clients you send me or like, how does that look? Like, No, I mean, I, I could speak to some examples, certainly. But the reality is, is we're really you know, we, we work with people that we have good alignment with. And I work, I don't work with everybody. I don't want to work with everybody. I really want quality over quantity. And I'm talking about from a real estate, a builder, et cetera, perspective, a handful of really good people where there's what I consider to be a quality match, where I do business a certain way, they do business a certain way. I'm not a good fit for a real estate agent, for example, does the one man show the super cowboy game and is a high producer, but does everything themselves. Because they're going to expect that I'm going to do everything myself. And back to the team part of it, I'm not. Right. Not that I can't, but I, I'd screw some stuff up. I'm not willing to. It's not my strong suit. It's, I don't get joy out of that. I, get, I, I do the things I do. So when I talk to my realtors you know, and the ones that we work with, like there's no scorecard. It's not we're going to refer you three deals per year, blah, blah, blah. It's none of that. It's just there's a good quality match. And so when I'm in front of a, a client, like this morning, I was in front of a great client. And I had a conversation with this client and I said, are you working with a realtor? And they said, yes, but we're not under a contract. And they said, do you have someone that you recommend? I said, yes, there's somebody that you should interview, somebody that I think is a perfect match for you. Now, I guarantee because of the things that we talked about, my realtor, the one I referred there, probably has a 95% chance of closing that client's purchase. Right. Only because of the conversation we had about it. And so – In the end, I didn't promote me. In fact, this person's meeting and interviewing three other loan officers, right? Cool. Go for it. It's a good market. You should do that. That's the beauty of a capitalist environment, right? Mm -hmm. But guess what? They are going to talk to the realtor I referred, and that realtor that I referred is going to do what for me? They're going to close me. I didn't have to close me. They're going to do it for me. And that's the key. That's what put yourself in the way of the money meant, which is – how do other people and, – and, and it's, it, it is to an extent not completely altruistic because I have some gain out of it. But how do I just make sure that I'm referring people and looking out for others and then expect that they do the same thing for me? And that's kind of what, I, what we created. That's awesome. So one other question about the realtor relationships. Obviously, realtors are a big part of a loan officer's business. So do you have any kind of system that you use for staying in touch or like in order to make sure that you don't, you know how you, if you don't stay top of mind, people will, even if they think you're great, they'll forget about you. So how, what kind of things do you do to make sure they don't forget you? 
So, so this really comes back to the core. And, you know, you and I talked about this before, Scott, but I'm a parrot, right? In that I, somebody does it and they do it better and I copy them, right? I'm just like, I'm a copier. And so in the core, you know, we have some systems we have to follow and we get coached on them and graded on them essentially. And we really, what we've done is I told you, I think I mentioned this before, we're a bunch of overproducing, like, you know, overproducing dysfunctional loan geeks is really all we are. And so we had to hire a boss because we're, we don't have a boss in this industry really. Mm -hmm. So we hired the core and they say, you know what, call 40 realtors every single Monday, 40 realtors every Monday. So I have a little checklist. Guess what? I don't call 40 realtors every single Monday. I just don't get the work done, but I get them done during the week. And so I think there's, you know, I'm not efficient enough yet to get to the 40 calls. So point I'm trying to make here is there is no perfect system because we're all people. And so everybody listening to this call and listening to this podcast, this isn't about I do this and you're a failure if you don't. The reality is I sometimes really suck at making those telephone calls. And sometimes it takes me till Friday to get them done, but I don't leave the office without making them. And if you just do that one thing, if you just make sure that you have 40 realtors that you're prospecting to and that you're in relationship with, and you just call them once a week to check in on them, you will grow. You will get more business. You'll also hear no, and you'll hear don't call me again, Mm -hmm. but you will continue to grow. And so that's a really simple, very basic tactic. So the, the question is, what do you say? Well, you have to figure out how to be in relationship with these people so that eight weeks of telephone calls don't feel completely awkward, right? Because there's right. nothing like calling somebody for eight weeks in a row and them not calling you back. So we just use a system. It's like 10 weeks. If it's a new realtor and you call them for 10 weeks, your final message is, hey, you know what? You're great in this business. I know you're great. I've heard your name for years and we've never met. We're probably going to end up on the opposite side of a transaction sometime. And I had just really hoped that we could get to know each other because I think it makes for a better process. Promise I won't call you again. Do me a favor. Just call me back if you have any interest in chatting. And sometimes they call you back and sometimes they don't. But when you're on that next transaction with them and you call them, they feel terrible because they know they never called you for 10 or 11 weeks in a row. Have you picked up any real estate agents from the 10 week no calls and then you do a transaction? Yeah, I can't think of anybody that's turned into like a best referral source, but I've definitely gotten business from it. And here's the thing, I don't make people feel terrible. I definitely stick my thumb in that hole, right? Make them feel the pain a little bit. Be like, hey, remember when I told you that we'd probably work together better if we talked? And you know, now I really need you to call me because we're actually working together. And then they usually call and they're like, yeah, hey, I'm really sorry I didn't. I'm like, don't worry about it. You're not the only one that's done that. It just kind of let them off. And yeah, we've gotten some business from it. And, but nobody that's turned into a phenomenal partner. And let's face it, would I really want them as a partner anyway if they didn't have the common decency to call me for 10 weeks when I wasn't really asking for anything anyway? Right. What do you do in a new realtor situation? You call them. If you do get them on the phone, are you trying to set up a face-to-face meeting? Yeah, everything. Business should be done face-to-face. The philosophy that we use or the system that we use is basically your telephone calls set up your break bread appointments, which is your coffee, your tea, your lunch, your get-together, your face-to-face, whatever that would look like. And the reality is just about scheduling and it's about creating an opportunity. So there's, there's all kinds of different ways and scripts. And the one that, you know, the one that I like and the one that I use the most is the one I just shared with you, which is, hey, we're going to, I've heard some great things about you. We're probably going to work together. I would question that you've heard of me, but I do pretty good here in my business. I just want to get to know you a little bit. So 10 or 15 minutes. So when you're the listing agent on one of my transactions, 
we'll have a, a little bit of working rapport. Mm-hmm. And they go, yeah, cool, no problem. Or sometimes they say no, and you say, great, well, you know what? I'm working with Steve over in your office. Would you mind if I just pop by sometime? In fact, I'll be there next Tuesday. What do you drink? I'll grab you a cup of coffee from a Starbucks. We'll hang out for two minutes or three minutes, and uh, at least we'll have a little, a couple minutes of FaceTime when we work. And they, most of the time, they say yes to that. Right, and right. It's like, okay, fine, yes, or I'm busy or whatever. And you just continue to do it. You just continue to ask. And so you've been doing that for how many years? I'd say it's probably been 10 to 12 because the, the system was different before. And it's, you know, most of my time in the core realistically, but I've had times where I get tired and I stop making the calls and I've had times where I'm irritated and I don't, and you know, and I sort of shut down my new prospecting for three or four months. But the reality is the realtors have a really high attrition rate in their business really high attrition rate. And there are a lot of realtors that are in and out of the business. One year they're blowing up and the next year they're doing nothing. And sometimes you're only as good as your last deal. And so you constantly have to be working to have a feeder system because you're going to get hired. You're going to get fired. People are going to quit the industry and people are going to have other loan officers that recruit them away because they're the next shiniest thing. So you constantly have to have people that you're working on that you can bring up in that system And then you have to realize it's business. Don't take it personally. Do your job to make the relationship as good as you possibly can and take care of them, you know, but you're going to lose some. It's what happens. Right. Good advice. Okay. So I'm going to ask you about failure. I know that talking to successful loan officers, mortgage brokers, that failure happens, but there's always a lesson when you look back. So can you share something you failed at? Yeah. So I failed really badly about, uh, it was the end of 2015. I mean, I failed a lot in my career, but the end of 2015, let me make sure that was right. It was. I did not do a really good job of taking care of my team. I had built a nice team. We'd been together a long time, and the whole team basically imploded. Everybody left for a different company. I lost a ton of people. I just hired some new people for it. It was just – it was a mess, and I, I got into a big old nasty funk because I was angry. I'm like, man, I can't believe these people would do that. They have absolutely – like. The audacity of them, I taught them the business, right? I took, you know, it was, it was my first hire in the business. This guy that I hired, uh, he was pounding nails on a construction site. He and I just played rugby together, mm-hmm. right? So he started working for me in 2002. We played rugby together because he did some sales at Yellow Pages, and I thought, okay, well, he could probably do mortgages. He was a mess, and I taught him this business, and he was making a solid six-figure income, and I brought him up in the team, and he was one of, you know, five people that just up and left. It hit my income and it really, what it did was hit my ego really hard. And so I was mad at him because I thought, well, this is, you know, how, how rude, right. And then rude Mm -hmm. was probably not the word I used at the time. And then I started to think about it and it took me about four or five months to figure out that they really left because I didn't love on them enough because I didn't show them enough that I cared about who they really were. And, and I spent so much of my time during the day focused on just go, go, go. I'm driven. I want to do this. I want to get these files done. I need to, you know, whatever it is that I got to do that I wasn't taking enough time out of the day to really show my people how much I appreciated them and how much they meant to me personally. And so, and, and, and that was a huge mistake. And that's something that I'm committed to never, ever do again by neglecting the the personal relationships of the people that we work with. Right. That's really good advice, actually, too. So just out of curiosity, what kind of things do you, or how do you remind yourself? Because if you have that natural wiring for just like, you sound like a, you know, you'll just work, right? So do you have a way to remind yourself to be like, hey, I got to make sure I go and, you know, touch with the team and high five and whatever? What does that look like? Yeah, so so I... <laughs> 
this is, I mean, you got to use to an extent technology as your friend or something like that. So I just, I created a little reminder in my iPhone, right? Siri iPhone. So you tell Siri and basically once a month, it reminds me to love on my team. And that's basically it. It's love on my team. And so the question is, what do we do? Well, something that you could do, which is incredibly invaluable. I knew this before. Here's, here's the thing, guys. Here's where I was really a failure. I didn't learn this as a result of, I knew this before. I just didn't do it. And one thing you can do is you just call after hours and leave your staff a voicemail, one person, so it doesn't feel like, okay, it's watered down. He did it for all four of us. Leave one person a voicemail that's what we call an undeletable voicemail. So the key is to leave a voicemail that is so genuine and so impactful that they save it because they can't delete it. You can't delete those words. And it's the one that when they're having a bad day, you want to leave that voicemail that they play over and over. And so an example of that, the, the other day I was driving home, and this I, I hadn't done this in a while, but I, the company I used to work for, there was an underwriter. She was awesome. She was, and she and I didn't start out as friends. We were we butted heads real bad, and we did not care for each other. But out of that grew a, an immense amount of respect, and we really grew to work very well together. And she was incredibly talented. So I was on the way home and I was listening to a podcast in my car and it was talking about gratitude and you know somebody blah 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 some and she popped into my head and I thought gosh I haven't talked to her in like 2 years. So I call I still have her cell phone number so I called her cell phone I left her a message and I said hey I was listening to this podcast and you popped into my head because it was talking about people that you know the the few people that impact your life and in what way and you were the person that immediately popped into my head and I just said you know it's real, but I didn't say thank you enough for all the work that you did. You helped me solve a lot of hard files, and we really grew to work together as a team. And whoever you're working for right now, wherever you're working, they're lucky to have you because you're that good. And I guarantee you, you don't hear that enough. And I left that voicemail. You know, it was a little bit longer, but that was the gist of it. Now, the chances are really, really good that that's one of those undeletable voicemails. It should be, and it was genuine. It came from the heart. So I do that now with my team, and I do that occasionally. I can't do that all the time or it feels disingenuine. But things like that or things like a little handwritten note that's on their chair in the morning with their favorite candy just to say, hey, thanks. Or another thing that we do is on occasion I'll buy a lunch for the team, and we'll do a team lunch. We order it in on Thursdays. We have a rule. We don't talk about business. We just sit and we talk, Mm -hmm. and we eat lunch together. And we do that, and then we all go back to our jobs, and it was a nice little break. But those are the things I think that matter. You know, We'll find out. It, 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 maybe it isn't enough. If I implode my team again, chances are pretty good, then I needed to do more. But my goal is to avoid it. Right. No, that's, that's awesome. So one of the things, too, I've noticed in the mortgage business is there's kind of three parts. There's leads, there's your team, and their system. You kind of talked about leads a bit with realtors. So I'm just going to ask you about your team. So if a loan comes in or like a pre-approval, how does it work? We use loan partners as the term. So there's a loan partner, one, who doesn't do any file work. There's a loan partner, two, who takes a loan file from lead, basically once it's in our system, through to the closing table. So my team is two loan partner twos and a loan partner one, myself, and then I've recently hired what we call a marketing partner. I'm not going to really talk about that position because you know, a lot of people look at it and say, well, what's the first step I need to do? How do I do this? Or what's the second step? So that's really the key points. Loan partner one and loan partner two. What's the first one you hire? You, know, you hire a loan partner two. That's the first hire that you make. This is somebody that 
is basically like a preprocessor, somebody with awesome skills, somebody that's got good loan technical knowledge and can understand how to structure some files and solve some problems so they alleviate your time, right? So they free up more time to sell. So in my team, the system, and it looks very similar in, in a lot of the core offices, is a lead comes in, and look, it doesn't always go to my loan partner one. Sometimes they go to my loan partner two, or sometimes they come, a lot of times they come to me. Realtors text them to me, realtors email them to me. And we all have to be responsive for the fact that they'll come in in every single way. Sometimes I get them on Facebook Messenger, right? Hey, I found out you, blah, 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 blah. So we all channel that lead where possible back to the loan partner one who calls, sets an appointment for me, a face-to-face appointment. I meet with greater than 90% of my own, my clients face-to-face. It sets that appointment, then says, great, I'm going to get you on the telephone with either Chris or, in this case, uh, Alex. And Chris or Alex, you know, she says who it's going to be, are going to be talking to you here in just a moment. They're going to collect some details from you. And then we start collecting the loan application. We do the loan application ideally over the phone because we're able to ask a lot of the detailed questions that we need. And then they actually meet with me and the client when the client comes in. So I spend about 40 minutes with the client. I do the, you know, the workup, the, I do my dog and pony show. We talk about options, things you know, other people do. We solve some problems. And then they sit down with my loan partner too because it's a baton pass, and I let them know that their job is to get this file ready so when they do find the right home, they're, you know, they're ready to go on a contract. Then that loan partner too retains the file all the way through to closing. Even though we have processors and underwriters and stuff that still work on the files, the client communications goes through the loan partner too. They request the additional documents and things so that there's one main point of contact, there's one comfort reference, and there's one person that I can hold accountable to the details of the file. And the way that we believe the system works is each person that you have on your team represents five closings. So walk you through that. Because I'm still in my loan applications, I still do my loan apps, I count, which means I can handle five closings a month as a responsible loan officer and do a really good job. Well, I hire a loan partner one. Now I can handle 10. I hire a loan partner two, and now I can handle 15. So you see where I'm going with it. So my team is staffed to handle 20 closings. Mm-hmm. At above 20 closings, we start to, you know, the wheels shake. You're like, you're starting to come apart, right? Mm-hmm. At 17, 18 closings, we're feeling the pressure, right? We feel a little bit of the strain. And that's the, basically the way we're set up. So if you want to grow, you hire before you need it. Otherwise, you obviously you grow and then you regress. And that's what happened to me when my team imploded is I had grown and then I had no choice but to regress because I couldn't facilitate the loans, right? Mm-hmm. That's a good model too. I, I like the idea of the five per person on the team, essentially. And then because 240 loans a year is a decent number for... That's a great living, right? That's that's like... You can't live on it, but it's a good start. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there you go. That's right. That's exactly right. I know. We all got to hit the 500 loan mark. Okay. So a question for you about systems. So then how do you keep track of all of those files and the... You know, there's a lot of moving parts and you have 20 closing loans. What are you guys using to do that? So we use a, a weekly pipeline meeting. I mean, first of all, we we do a daily team meeting, right? You have to do a daily team meeting. And... A daily team meeting, you talk about the things that people are responsible for. And so part of it is how we structure our job contracts. So I like an all-encompassing approach. So here's my, this is my job responsibility chart, if you will, for my loan partner twos. Because let's face it, they're the most critical piece to this, right? That loan partner two is critical to the process. Mm -hmm. So their job is, if it happens between the time that the application is received or the lead is received and closing, it's their job. So simple right? It's their job to make sure it gets done. So 
I, I don't want to sound too simplistic with that, but I think it really can be that simplistic because in the end, when they bring you problems and they solve problems and, you know, the idea is to properly delegate, but it's on their table, right? If it, if it has to do with the fact that a verification of employment doesn't come back properly or that, you know, that the client had, um, you know, we had, uh, we had this situation the other day, the client had a bankruptcy, which was fine. We had it accounted for, uh, seven years ago. However, we or eight years ago, and so we didn't need the bankruptcy papers. However, there was a foreclosure in the bankruptcy, and it didn't show on the credit report, and it didn't come up until we pulled internally. We pulled a MERS report, and then we had this MERS report that said three years ago there was a bankruptcy, a blah, blah, blah. So my loan partner brought it to me and said, hey, we got this problem, and I said, well, what are we going to do? And they said, I don't know what you tell me, and I was like, you know the rule. You don't, you don't come to me with a problem unless you have at least – a potential solution. I don't care what it is. It could be the craziest idea in the world. You could tell me to cancel the loan and tell the borrower they can't do it. That's a solution. I probably won't like it, but you know, in the end, they source their own answer. And how do you keep track of things? Well, you have to do a daily team meeting so you can talk about stuff like this. So then they can go about their day and do their work and you can do your work. And then you have to have a weekly pipeline report. And the pipeline report was incredibly inefficient until we started to create just required metrics and timelines. Files are only allowed to be in, in the loan officer or loan partner's hands for two days post-doc signing for us. So we do a loan application, client goes under contract, we do disclosures, and within two days, that file has to be submitted into processing. If it goes over two days, we talk about it. Why is it over two days? It's a problem. We might be off timeline. And so it doesn't start to take shape until you can put some of those metrics around it. But that's really it. I mean, it, what we do isn't rocket science, right? Right. No, that's that's awesome. Obviously, that you've got to generate the leads through your activities. You're the lead. You're the rainmaker for the team. Then you have your team, your your team set up to help you facilitate the loans. And then you just put in good systems and recurring either meetings to, in order to make sure that you don't you don't drop the ball on any of the transactions. Right. And the leadership piece is that's it. You have to do it. You have to set the example that it's expected and you have to be there. A lot of leaders make the mistake of getting out of those details and delegating the team meeting. Oh, well, Steve, you run the team meeting. And it's like, well, okay, now it's not important anymore because you didn't show up. Mm -hmm. Right. You're golfing or something. So what's the best business advice you've ever received? Stay small and do loans from Rick Ruby so with the core. You know, we all have these big ideas, right? We got these big ideas. We want to build a big company. We want to, we're not satisfied. We're just constantly like we got to bite off more than we can chew. It's our addictive and crazy and dysfunctional personalities. And you know, stay small and do loans means don't invest in other businesses. Don't you know? Like I mean, investing is one thing, but don't think because you can do loans better than most people that you can run a restaurant. You probably can't. Don't think you'd be a great real estate broker owning a partial ownership in a brokerage. You know how to do loans. You don't really know how to run a real estate company. And so that's it. Stay small, stay lean, and do loans. Can you share one thing about yourself that you can't find on Google? Yeah, wow, that's a great question that you can't find on Google. I am terrified of cold calling. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And I have to force myself to find ways to do it and want to do it. And you won't find that on Google anywhere. And it's... Um, you know, that's probably more the business-related topic. On the personal side of things, I'm like, I, I guess this would be this would probably be fear-related as well. Is I'm, I constantly live in fear that I'm I'm a bad dad, 
and it scares me. And I, I pay a lot of attention to the things I do with my kids because I just – I would never, ever, ever want them to think that. So it scares me to death that I could be a bad dad. How, how many kids do you have? I got four. Oh, wow. You, you're very productive. I have three. Got a big <laughs> – that's right. Like I said, we're all overachievers. We bite off more than we can chew, right? It's it's everywhere. Somebody once told me when we, my wife was pregnant with the third that three kids is like a blender with the lid off. And so four kids must be like two blenders. You know, it's just crazy. It's funny. Four was not bad at all. Three was exactly that. You've experienced it. That's the hardest. Now, I'm not telling you and your wife to go out of a fourth. That's for you guys. But fourth was no problem so far compared to three. Three was uh, near about the death. Usually the, the oldest one, though, like we found now, like we have nephews and they, that's having help because the oldest is so useful. Like, I don't know if that's for you, but... It's like a team again. Yeah. It goes, it's like you got the you know child loan partner, child one and two. And <laughs> <laughs> it's a, well, you know, that's exactly right. And a lot of the concepts that we use within our team are the same things we use with our family. A lot of times we, you know, this was a real struggle for me. I had to get one of my coaches to help me with it is you have to treat them. You have to treat staff a lot of times like children. You have to discipline them properly. And guess what? They treat me like a child too. Like I have to be babied in here. They got to remind me I'm supposed to be somewhere else. You got to remind me I'm supposed to be on this telephone call. Like, you know, and that's part of what they're supposed to do and how we help each other. But yeah, it's the same thing for, for family, right? It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. So I'm going to move to rapid fire questions. You, you can answer shorter answers if you like. What's the number one thing holding back most loan officers from being successful? they're confused about their job. Your job is to sell. Your job is not to structure loans and do loans and solve problems. And, and your job is to sell. If you don't want to sell, come work for me. Right. And you just hand them loans. Yeah. Just work on my team. What's one thing or habit that you think has made you successful? The daily team meeting. It sucks. I hate it, but th that's the operational piece. The sales piece is the core's greatness tracker. And if anybody wants more information about it, you know, let me know or I'll give you a copy of it. You can put it out there for people. They engage, but it's the greatness tracker. It's the telephone calls and the things we got to do each week. Right. That's good. What's one app or software that you can't live without? So no vested interest in this whatsoever, but frankly, it is like our game changer was Flowify when we brought it on for our team. And I've become a huge advocate for Dave and his guys over at Flowify. We brought it on for our company as an as a enterprise software edition. But it makes running a team a lot more efficient and a lot more effective. And the clients love the experience because it obviously collects documents and things. And it's a nice secure portal that it's, it's high touch and they love it. So it's been Flowify. Right. That's awesome. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? Oh, that's a great question. So there, I got to say this because these are both top of mind, which is interesting because if, when you get one of the books, you'll understand it. So there's actually two. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overachieve on this one. The first one is Giftology. And Giftology, I, I can't remember the author's name right now, but it's about the importance of giving genuinely for building relationships. And now we have to be careful with this because it's not about giving all kinds of gifts. You know, we have in the States, we got this RESPA thing that like it or love it or hate it or whatever, it's here. So I used it as a template for giving from a, like a, like a personality standpoint, like giving into the relationship. The other one is, is a book I'm reading right now. It's a, it's a hard book, but it's really cool. It's called the, I think it's called the art of persuasion or persuasion. Oh yeah. It's really good. That's uh, Robert Cialdini. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm in that book right now. What's funny is that he's talking about what, you know, what you focus, right? What you focus on is basically what you concentrate on. And interestingly enough, I'm focused on the book because I'm reading it. And here I am telling everybody that they should read it because it's top of mind, right? It works. I like that a lot. I think those are both really great books.
Okay, so last question. Remember the movie Back to the Future? Oh, yeah. So remember the car, the DeLorean? So if I could put you in the DeLorean and I could send you back 16 years to when your first day as a loan officer and you could say, hey, Andy, do these three things, what things would you tell yourself? Uh, the first thing that I would tell myself, it, it, I would probably need to do this a couple years after that, but I'd smack myself and tell myself not to get an ego and not to think I was better than I really was and bigger than I really was and and remind myself that I'm not really that special because I think we all go through phases, not all of us, but a lot of us go through phases in this industry where we had a certain level of success and we think we're basically the, you know, it, right? That's it. We're the best. And then you have a really large fall, right? Been there, done that one. So that's one thing. The other thing is I would, I'd remind myself that my job really is to just sell. And the faster I can surround myself with people that do what I can do 90% as well as I can do it, the higher, you know, the better my future is. And the other thing I'd tell myself and let myself build towards is not making the success uh, be all about me. It's got to be a level of success that's built with the, you know, the people that I'm surrounding myself with. For example, my team, right? But they don't really care what my pay log looks like. They don't really care. I mean, they care I can pay my bills and I can, you know, they get their paychecks. But really, I mean, my trajectory is pretty well set. So remind myself that it's about helping other people get to their level of financial freedom and know that theirs isn't the same as mine. It's whatever theirs is, right? But understand it and then make my job about helping other people, my, my number one, number one clients who are my employees, helping them get that out of life. And those, if I did those three things a lot earlier on in my career, so I may not have another 18 years to go, right? I might stick this thing out for another 10 and be good. But you know, I love what I do. And I'm, uh, those would be the things I'd learn earlier. That's awesome. Well, Andy, I really appreciate it. Where can people find you online? Uh, so if anybody has any questions, you can find me. So the Zeman team, Z-E-M-O-N team, the Zeman team.com. I'm on Facebook. And, you know, if anybody has any individual questions, LinkedIn, I'm there. So any individual questions, look, I don't, I don't get paid to coach. I don't get paid to do anything. But I do think that uh, if we can help each other as an industry, then the clients win and we all win. So if you guys got individual questions or you want to know anything else, just shoot me a, a message or an email and I'm happy to chat. Thank you, Andy. I really appreciate it, man. And anybody listening, you can get links, show notes, all that. I love mortgagebrokering.com. And I hope you continue to crush your business. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate being here. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you do, you'll get three deals in the next week. Okay, that's not entirely true, but we'd really appreciate it. Also, you can check out everything at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. See you next week.